Welcome to The Art of Marketing, a podcast webinar series to help you connect with your customers. We talk with marketing directors, executives, and business owners to learn more about their approach to marketing, hear which tactics deliver results in different industries, and give you some ideas for your next campaign. The Art of Marketing is brought to you ad-free by Applied Art and Technology. Applied Art is a creative studio that helps businesses create professional content that gets results. From video production, websites, virtual events, and much more, Applied Art can help you build the bridge from marketing to sales. To learn more about our company, visit our website at appliedart.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. This is The Art of Marketing. Welcome, everybody, to episode 31 of the Art of Marketing podcast webinar series with your friends at Applied Art. Today, the subject is transforming your digital customer experience with Rebecca Falk. Uh, today, it's just Ryan, myself, and Shannon from Applied Art here today on the call. Uh, we'll be talking with Rebecca a lot. So, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad Absolutely. to be here. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Rebecca Falk, and I am currently at Farm Bureau as a business uh, development lead um, in the life side of the company. Um, I've been there about 90 days, a little over 90 days. Uh, prior to that, I spent about 15 years with Wellmark, Blue Cross and Blue Shields of Iowa, and was um, leading the stakeholder experience, was the director of stakeholder experience for them, and building out our customer experience and our digital transformation. Very cool. Um, let's see here. We have we have a lot of stuff we wanted to cover in today's uh, today's talk, so I think we can probably get right into it. Um, one of the ones I know a lot of we we ask everybody that comes on the show kind of how the pandemic has been affecting their life this year. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like how the pandemic was affecting you in the beginning of 2020, and as you started to transition into your new role, kind of how that looked for you? Yeah, so COVID um, has definitely been a year of great acceleration and great pause. Literally, as you all know, the world has changed overnight and both brands and customers have had to figure out how to adapt in real time, right in front of everyone. There's not been a lot of time to prepare as we think about um, normally when you're in a crisis situation, um, there's not a lot of time for preparation. Um, commerce has shifted almost entirely online and for our organization, um, at Farm Bureau, we've got a roadmap we're trying to build out quickly um, to create those digital experiences um, and enable folks to self-serve online for a lot of those functions that they typically call in for. Absolutely. So what kind of, what kind of safety concerns um, do you think are affecting the consumer buying behavior, especially after, during COVID? I mean, everybody's gotta be kind of panicked a little bit. What are you seeing? Yeah, I think consumers have had to really rethink every experience and every interaction that they have um, and associate a risk factor with that. So consumers have had to shift to new models to deliver groceries or to get groceries. Online shopping, mobile shopping, um, small and mid-sized communities have accelerated rather quickly in that retail grocery space. Gas stations have enhanced capabilities um, from a contactless pay at the pump, right? So we were all used to our debit cards you put in, and now you just kind of do the tap thing. You don't even have to insert your card. Um, retailers have had curbside pickups. Some retailers who did not have that previously have implemented that. 
um, there's this emerging um, zero UI concept. Um, what does example, that mean? Yeah, so Target has, um, if you're a Target shopper, I'm an avid Target shopper, <laughs> inside of their mobile app, they have a mobile wallet. And within that mobile wallet, I can put in my debit card or a credit card, and I just have to hold it up and the customer uh, service person checking me out just has to scan that and it takes the money right out of my account. So it's zero interaction, zero interface. Um, small businesses, even places locally here in Des Moines, like Bon Appetit. Um, a, a very small company and has 50-ish uh, employees, they've had to develop an online presence with zero UI, curbside pickup, online shopping, and even have um, entertained delivery options in the market here locally. So even small businesses, this isn't just the big corporations or just insurance companies, everyone has had to rethink those safety concerns and thinking about how we interact with our customers. And when you think about some of those in-purchase um, transactions, those are not zero UI. You still have to put in a pin. I was just at uh, the grocery store the other day. I had to insert my debit card. I still had to put in my pin. So as we start to kind of further some of those safety concerns, definitely consumers are looking for those zero UI um, situations where they're not having to touch anything. Wow. Absolutely. I know that's really interesting too, because we're talking about it's all customer facing stuff, but especially with us being in, we're in B2B and you're in the insurance world. So it's a little bit different. So maybe talk about how, how has this been affecting the insurance industry in terms of getting in front of people? Cause a lot of that is in face-to-face -face interactions, right? From, from what, I, at least what I understand. Yeah. So definitely on the life insurance side, it's all face-to-face -face through agents. And so um, when you think about the pandemic and how it's turned those um, situations upside down, utilizing zoom and those kinds of things to conference in and contact with, your customers, where we have a, an agent force, but that's not a skill set that they've had to use because their entire sales model is built on that face-to-face -face interaction. So not only creating tools for the employees to use, but enabling those tools in such a way that made it easy and simplistic to interact with their customers so that they can answer questions, help facilitate claims, um, we also had uh, a derecho, right, through mm -hmm. Iowa um, during this pandemic, and that presented new challenges because our claims rose dramatically in a matter of days, and who would have thought that that, first of all, that we'd ever have a derecho? <laughs> um, and, well, and it, it is 2020, so why, why wouldn't we have it in that year? Right. We've had to rethink all of those interactions and the face-to-face -face interactions. You know, normally um, Farm Bureau has um, agencies all across the state and your local agent is who you walk into their office and talk to them about what's going on and submit your claim. Um, and now we've had to rethink all of that where it's telephonic or it's Zoom or um, we're building out digital transformation types of activities so that things can be done in an online fashion. And I know that you've done an awful lot of research into what we can expect moving forward. So what is a, what's the digital focus gonna be moving forward? What does that look like, do you think? Yeah, I think um, that digital focus is only going to accelerate if it hasn't already for many organizations, either during COVID or post COVID. Many companies are, have, have and are continuing to try to figure out ways to enable that work from home um, enhancement right? So in March 2020, we all had to figure out how to accelerate that pretty quickly. 
um, and accelerate moving things like um, phones and having to move phones to a soft telephone. Who had ever heard of a soft telephone? I had not. Um, <laughs> but that's become commonplace technology that we've had to utilize to get customer service and telephonic centers up and running and still being able to just support the business. Where you think about some of the um, customer service or claims calls, any call center really, and you think about their ability to work from home, that was completely unheard of prior to 2020. It was, well, I can't work from home. I have to be physically in the office. And so we've had to rethink not only those self-service digital things, but also those means in which we deliver functionality. And those have kind of come crashing together. And we've had to build strategies in real time on the fly on how to accommodate all the various customer requests across our enterprise. 2020 has come close to um, in, it come close to situations where that digital first is becoming even more pronounced. Um, but changes will also reflect the way that consumers like to live, how they're shopping, how they're not able to travel right now, um, and how they're entertaining if they are able to entertain. All of those activities have been appended as part of 2020. So when I think about what 2021 looks like in a digital way, it's all about removing friction, simplification, and making it easy for folks to interact. People want to get their transactions and their um, items completed in a quick way. So how do I build that digital interface in a way that gets them in, gets them out, and gets them on with their day? And what kind of information do you leverage from a marketing perspective to know how to approach that? Yeah, it's data is king, and data is... Um, is, is gonna be a necessity if it hasn't become a necessity for organizations already. But it's not just data, it's information. So it's what we do with that data. We all have data, but it is what we do with that data that will separate us from our competition and put us ahead with consumers. Everything from who buys what, what was purchased, and the sharing of information of um, things that people purchased, if you've been on Amazon, right? So other people have looked at, other people purchased this item when they purchased that item. That used to kind of be seen as creepy and weird, where now it's really sought after information. <laughs> it really is. It, really is it is kind of scary doing. when you think about how much they know about us and how they're able to track everything we do. I'm afraid to search for anything because within seconds, all of the ads start coming up and I'm like, gosh, I, I already bought the new garage door opener. Am I going to be seeing ads like that now for the next year? Yes. Yeah. That, that's why I don't even get an Amazon Alexa because I know she's listening to everything everybody says <laughs> and then telling old Jeff Bezos, hey, here's what he wants to hey, buy. That's why Rebecca's I looking at this. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, companies like in the financial industry, it's hard, right? So we have products that aren't, you know, the sexy thing and trying to get people engaged in a way to talk about those non-tangible products and services. Um, a great example, Principal Financial Group um, uses information and data to help their customers understand what people like me are saving. What, how much do people like me save? How much have they saved? What percentage of their gross income are they putting away? And so it's that Amazon Jeff Bezos-like um, activity. And as consumers, we're starting to expect that more and more with the brands that we interact with because we've seen value. And it's really key. Value is really key because if we, if our consumers don't see that value, then they're not going to be engaging with us in the ways that we want them to with our products and services. 
There we go. Sorry, I was on mute there. Um, another question I had was also, what are some of the um, choices that the customers are looking for in terms of, you said accessibility and just ease of use, but in kind of your, your findings, what are, what are some of those choices looking like for people? Right. There's been this entire evolution of customer experience and, and we're kind of in that the expectation that consumers have is really that omni-channel. It's not just a buzzword that's worn out, it's welcome. Rather, it's a continued growth in customer expectations where companies can enhance their experiences. Consumers want choice. They want to choose when and where to buy. They want to choose how to buy whether it's in-person or curbside, um, maybe it's delivery sometimes, maybe it's shipped. Um, we want that choice. We want to choose where our kids go to school. Do they go online? Do they have a hybrid model? We want choice. And choice will continue to be key as we go into 2021. Consumers want to contact companies on different channels. So if I'm um, in the store, I expect the same service I get in the store on my mobile application. And I want that interaction to be similar. I want it to feel like one integrated experience. Customers think they're focusing on having one conversation. It's one problem in front of them. They don't look at it as separate transactions or separate interactions the way we might set up our business. They look at it as one problem, one conversation. And so our challenge will be to make that important and make that um, uh, integration of that conversational approach um, to service. Well, it's kind of interesting you, know, you, you say the, the ease of use and cohesiveness because places like Target where I know people that'll go in and if they can't find something, my wife who's addicted to Target as well, like you'll get on the app and it'll tell you what aisle this, the item's in. So you don't have to go find somebody or try and you know do the old search and hunt for it. It'll tell you, oh, G26 and you just go and go find it. So it's kind of interesting. And then, like you said, you can pay with your phone. You can search everything with your phone. If it's not in the store and you know that, you can order it from the phone. It'll just deliver to your house. It's, it's kind of crazy how some of those businesses are doing that just to completely eliminate friction. Yeah, it's all about that friction elimination. And you're exactly right. Being able to access the store's real-time inventory. Do they even have this in stock? I can check my mobile app before I ever leave my house to know if the items I'm looking for are in stock. And it kind of goes back to that choice, right? So I may have the need to purchase 10 products from Target. Three of those are going to have to be shipped. Five of those are in stock. And another portion of those can be delivered via a delivery service in two days. So not shipping, right? Your local store has those coming in on a truck and can get them delivered to your front door in two days. It's not UPS. So yeah, it's all about that choice and it's all about removing friction. Um, we found that, you know, during this COVID time, we're, we're wearing many hats as consumers, right? We're, we're employees, we're parents, we're spouses, <laughs> we're coworkers. And when you have to wear that many hats, you've got to be sure you're focusing your time on the right things and having to hunt down the certain loaf of bread or the, the DVD you're looking for isn't where we want to spend our extra time. You know, in, in our industry, obviously, storytelling is pretty key because that is what we do. And we've been big proponents of that for years. I'm curious, how do you, how do you implement that into a digital strategy? Because for us, it's about creating a level of engagement, which I think is interesting because doing virtual meetings now, I think, has really humanized the people that I talk to from a sales perspective, where we're, we're all you know, we're in our homes, we're wearing what we're wearing. Sometimes hair and makeup isn't part of the deal. And I'm able to have meetings with people and we have candid conversations and tell stories to each other about 
what we're going through, you know, that level of engagement is there. How do you leverage that in a digital strategy? Yeah, I think digital marketing is how you leverage that. And it's that cohesive digital marketing plan. Storytelling is at the head of the class with relatable content marketing. Building those emotional connections with consumers is a key focus. It's all about entering the hearts and minds through that consistent story across all channels and every interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently got, uh, I read an article from Digital Marketing Institute and it, it, it kind of said, um, I believe it was like 86% of B2C companies use content marketing. However, only 33%, so only a third of them have a documented strategy about their digital marketing. And even half of them have a a measurable ROI that they're tracking to show results and measure and pivot as they get those results and they get that feedback. So I think it's, it's really important as we think about those digital strategies, are we using a pull model or a push model? In a pull model, for digital business to consumer interactions or a B2B interaction, um, customers' engagement has to be more humanized. Even though it's a B2B situation, we expect, have the same expectations as a B2B consumer as we do as a B2C consumer. We want that humanized interaction. Um, you're starting to see companies move away from those uh, standard emails that no reply at business.com or you know no reply or reply all at you know Rebecca.com. And, and those are starting to shift where you're actually getting people's names. And it's, you know, Rebecca Falk at farmbureau.com. And businesses are able to create that engagement, that personal connection in a way that feels very human. Um, all of those interactions will be conducted within those different digital channels. And they have to be consistent across the platforms and across all of the scenarios and situations in that customer's journey. Um, currently, the brand... Um, will be able to have to manage an overview of those customer interactions and continue to build relationships with folks. In order to do that, your digital channel has to be an integrated approach across all of your products and services and across all of the touch points. Because I know we have a lot of people or just some of the folks we've had on the show here, um, you know, they're just focused on one channel. It's like brick and mortar, that's the main way they do their business or it's all online or they they have a website, but they don't really take payments through online. What would be your suggestion for people that are trying to figure out how to tie all this stuff together and kind of do more of a multi-channel or omni-channel approach? Yeah, I think it's focusing on where your customers are coming in. So if you don't have customers coming online today, you might want to stop and ask yourself, why is that? Are they not a customer that wants to interact? And if you have an interaction online, what does it look like and what are the expectations? And really starting with that customer feedback would be my recommendation to start. Ask your customers. They're willing to tell you what they need and what they don't need. And um, another thing I would say is that if there's a, a shopping experience I would recommend that getting an online survey would be a really key way once you have somebody engaged in a digital way, asking them where they are is a good point um, to, get, to get that clarification because they're already interacting with you digitally. And if you wanna know what they're trying to accomplish, were they able to accomplish the tasks? Um, there's a series of questions that you can kind of drill down to better understand your consumers that are coming to you online. Um, and coming out of the holiday season during a pandemic, 
consumers were shopping online like crazy. I don't know if I've seen the actual holiday numbers come out, but I definitely saw the predictions in terms of where um, things are going as it relates to that shopping online. And it, it's astronomical how many times we've actually created that. In fact, I, um, I had read a different article um, that was quoting the U.S. Department of um, Commerce. And in just a couple months, so think March, April of 2020, the e-commerce penetration as a percentage of sales climbed more than it had in 10 years. So in 60 oh days, then it climbed more than it had in 10 years. That is just, that, that is crazy, right? It's just, I can't even fathom how that's even possible. But myself, I was shopping online. I still shop online. <laughs> <laughs> All my Christmas gifts were delivered at my front door. I had quite the UPS and uh, FedEx relationship. Well, thank goodness you, did, you didn't have porch pirates because <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good way to lose some good gifts. Yeah, I guess working from home, there can't be porch pirates, right? Because I'm sitting right there watching the window. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <clears throat> what do you think? How do we go about, I think about like our newsletter and some of the things that we send out. What's the, um, and I go through email campaigns and do, you know, sequences where I'm trying to reach these folks and What's your strategy for getting folks to opt in and hang in there with you? Yeah, I, that's a really great question. And I think it, 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 it's one that really I have pondered quite a bit. And I still don't know that I have an exact answer. But what I can tell you is that consumers are more now than ever willing and able to opt in. What they want to know is how you're going to use that information. They want to opt in and they want to know what the value is to them. Everyone understands the value to the company, right? So the more email addresses you have, the more marketable marketability you have for your products and services, the farther your reach can go with your newsletter, which increases your open rates. But what does what's in it for the consumer? What do they get? And how do we start to relate? And it goes back to that personalization. How do we personalize that information to get them to opt in, to create those experiences? Well, see, I've wondered, and, I've wondered about that because it's inevitable, don't you think, that somebody's going to see something that we're offering, however short and sweet it is, and that isn't going to have value to them. So you are going to possibly lose them. But if we at least have created some value in one or more of those, hopefully they'll stay there and say, okay, well, this one doesn't apply to me, but let's see what they come up with next. Is that yeah. a rational thought thinking? I do think that's very rational. I, I'm a big fan of asking consumers. Sometimes we want to, we think we know what they want. And so I think really, truly getting to know and understand what they need and what they want, what they like and what they don't like. And I'm not a big fan of like surveying people to death and, and asking them <laughs> every single day, every time you turn around with every newsletter, but you can build in on an annual or biannual basis or whatever makes sense for your business to gather that customer feedback with those email newsletters. The other thing I would say is that um, companies should also be thinking about when people are opting out, asking why. Why are you opting out? Give us some feedback. You're not trying to sway them to say, you really wanna understand, is it an issue of I get just too many emails and I, I just can't handle the amount of emails? Is it the content's not relevant? Is it that um, the content is too frequent? Is it the frequency? So gathering that feedback at the point of that opt-out is also another key place that will give you valuable data 
and information about how you can constantly improve and win back some of those customers that maybe have opted out of your e-newsletter. I think some companies would be hesitant to do that because it's like if they've said, please remove me from your list, the last thing you want to do is hit them one more time. (laughs) (laughs) True, but you can can actually, I completely agree. I would want to hit hit a second time, but there are some companies out there that are doing it um, in a way that you can do it at the same time. So yes, I'm opting out and there's, you know, you do four radio buttons, right? And you can opt out because I get too many. I'm opting out because of this. You can, if you integrate it into the same experience, you're going to get valuable feedback. If you're yeah, asking for like that additional that. step, if you're asking for that additional step, you're not going to get the feedback you're looking for. You're probably going to make them a little upset. Yeah. That's like, I already broke up with you. Don't ask me again. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to let you break up. I get it. And you want to break up with me because A, B, C, or D. Right. Or all of the above. Right. So for, for our uh, listeners that maybe work for a larger company, and I mean, you have some good experience in this too. How do you how do you keep customer experience and in, in the experience on the front facing side of it front and center for people? Because I'm sure it's really easy for large bureaucratic corporations to not think at the ground level of how, is this an easy website to navigate? Is the, is the purchasing process easy? Like explain how you get people to think that way in a larger corporation compared to maybe a smaller one that they see it firsthand. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse a little bit, but I think it's all about that customer research and that customer feedback and identifying what those metrics are and keeping those top of mind. So we currently report out on a quarterly basis, our CX metrics, and we talk about here's, here's where we are, right? So we have a baseline and this is where we are this last quarter. And what are we going to do about it? What is the feedback? What's the, so what? So it's bigger than just identifying those metrics, it's baselining, setting a goal where I want, where I'm at and where I want to go. And then it's monitoring that. Um, And I would say that, and as part of our evolution, it's not just, Hey, here's our scores. And this is how we've, we've uh, done over the last quarter. It's here's our scores. And this is what we're going to do with this information. It's that. So what, and keeping that constantly in front of people will start to turn um, the corner around getting that importance and that level of, of engagement, regardless of company size. Absolutely. Well, it's kind of interesting too, because the, I mean, what you do in the, in the customer engagement and experience side of it really does tie into marketing really well, because if you market really well to attract people, you get them down the sales pipeline, they purchase, and then their experience is terrible. You know, they, can't access their account or they can't, you know, make their payments or they, you know, they, there's, it's clunky they're going to bounce. There's going to be high churn. There's going to be a lot of issues, you know, that make that marketing effort kind of nil. You know, if you're, you're, you're marketing, you know, uh, ice to a, an Eskimo, they always say, it's like, you, you know, you got to make sure it actually helps them and is an easy experience. So. Yeah. I see customer experience and marketing like hand in glove. I don't know that you can have one without the other. When you think about how you're positioning your products and services and you're marketing that information, to consumers, there's an experience at every touch point in which you're going out to them and marketing to them. Whether you're asking for a sale or you're developing that relationship and you're continuing to build upon that, there's an interaction point where that relationship is being built or it's non-existent. Right. I feel that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. One and when people are going through that customer journey, maybe maybe talk a little bit about that because we we talk about marketing, kind of the customer journey, getting people in your pipeline and getting them through your business. Maybe talk about a little yeah. bit about how does that apply to what you're uh, focused on. 
Yeah, I'm actually going to talk about an example. So at being previously at Wellmark, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, we spent a lot of time documenting our customer journeys and really trying to understand the experiences our customers have with us by segment and by demographic. And so what we were able to do is we were able to pair that journey with real-time data so we could better understand the consumer's complex um, oftentimes nonlinear um, uh, journeys that, that cause their interaction with us in the first place. And I think the next evolution with that from a customer journey perspective is not only identifying what those journeys are and documenting it, it's really how do I take that information and get that to my frontline workers? And how do I position it in such a way that my frontline workers not only understand and know the journey that specifically personalized to Rebecca was on, how do I take that information? How valuable would it be if our organizations could say, I know how many times Rebecca has called. I know how many times she's called on this particular issue. I know that she was online before she contacted the call center. And I know that she's likely to go back online after we have our conversation with the call center because I have a past history with her and I can see that journeys that she's had over a period of time. Um, how many times has that customer contacted us on, on a variety of issues and over what period of time? What does that frequency look like? I think the end game is getting that into those frontline workers, whether it's sales or service, um, and getting them access to that information to better position that relationship and that customer experience. Well, and in that, in that research, more. did you guys like, did you find certain, I'm sure you found um, areas where there was, you were leaking people, you know, it's like after they've been in for a month <laughs> and they had, you know, they went to chat support and they didn't get a response for X amount of time. And then they end up leaving or calling to, you know, something like that. I'm sure you guys found stuff like that in that research. We did. And we found, we found lots of opportunities. <laughs> um, I, I would tell you, I think the key though is focusing outside in. So I, as an organization, many try to develop a customer journey without the customer. And what you're really doing when you do that, you're documenting your internal processes, which is important. There's not a, you're not wasting time. It's, I don't want to minimize the importance of doing that. But when you talk about a customer journey, you're really talking about how does the customer interact? How do they feel? What are they doing? What are their thought processes? And the only way you're going to identify that is talking to your consumers, whether it's B2B or B2C, and really having those conversations with them about their journey. I really like that. That's strong. Yeah, especially in, in our world too. It's a lot of the, mm -hmm. it's the A-B testing, the letting the customer tell you what you will, you know, you could drop a really great marketing plan and you have, oh, this is going to, you know, we're going to run it on TV. It's going to do this or that, or we're going to run Facebook ads or whatever. And then you run it and it flops where you really have to kind of test it, test the, it's like a scientific hypothesis, you know, similar to the <laughs> trying to figure out like asking them and test, you know, ask and, and encourage your customers to tell you a little bit more about their experience. It really requires yeah. a deep dive into the information because I can't tell you how many times in my almost five years now with applied art that somebody will come and think that they need this, that, or the other thing. It's my website, I need a video and it, and you have to slow them down and say, let's first talk about what it is that you're trying to achieve and who your audience is and what does that persona look like? And, and probably eight times out of 10, what they thought they needed was not what they needed or their, their customers were not receiving information through the channel that they thought was the best fit. And it's just, you know, it's mind blowing, but, and it takes that time. But then with that comes that relationship and that trust and, 
and it takes time to to build that but it requires a deeper conversation for sure it does and i and in my um, experience in building out that customer experience and that b2b market space they are in the b2b space oftentimes i think my experience has been they don't know what they don't know they don't right. know what what they need or what they don't need they're a little harder in my opinion um, than the b2c market space and um, having gone through that evolution and sitting across the table and talking with business owners from large corporations to small mom pa shops across Iowa and South Dakota, and having that opportunity to sit across the table with folks and really understand um, how they do their business, what, how my company gets integrated into what they mm -hmm. do. For an example, I spent a, a lot of time talking with our companies about how they manage employee benefits, right? We were selling health insurance and that B2B space was really trying to understand, do employees come to you with questions about their plan? How do you answer them? Do you send them to us? Do you have a manual you pull off your shelf? Do you have a website you send them to? Like just even understanding those basic things so we could figure out how as an organization we could fill those gaps and take friction out of the mm -hmm. process by that B2B customer. In the end game, you were fixing the B2C, but you went through that employer first. It was yeah. super fascinating. Absolutely. I love that. Well, and we always say too, B2B is always kind of, it's harder, but really there's, there's people on the other end of a business, you know, if you know the specific, you know, if you're working with agents or whoever in the, in that business role, it's like, okay, what, what do agents need from us compared to like, the business and it's like this big fluffy cloud of impossible to understand this <laughs> yeah you're completely right and i think about how cx has helped with that sometimes we think of cx as the customer as being that person who's buying your products and services but it doesn't always have to be and those folks also need an experience and when we enhance their experience whether it's an agent um or it's that that, that hr person you're ultimately looking at some of those same um, concepts, right? So they want it easy. They want it frictionless. They want it simplified. They're not different in terms of their human expectations. They use the same Amazon and the same Facebook I do in a, in a B2C way. So they carry the same expectations at work as they do at home. Absolutely. Well, and you, like you said, HR, like if, why aren't we getting applications for jobs? Like, well, maybe the hiring application process is tedious and people don't want to take the time because it takes too long or something. Like there's probably uh, CX that ties back to almost every every interaction that's not living up to expectations. Rebecca, what, what we need to find is somebody with the same snow shovels as us and so they can come and help <laughs> us come to my house and then we go to your house and I want to develop that. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm all about it because mine's not done. <laughs> mine's not either. I didn't want to have hat hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll Love be my just afternoon. Just muff, Shannon. <laughs> yeah, I could have. Well, this has been great. Very really cool. good information. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I haven't I haven't seen any questions come through the the chat here. So, um, if anybody does have questions, you can always reach out to us and we can relay them to Rebecca and get you some answers. But um, for people that are wanting to learn more about you and and Farm Bureau and all that stuff, where can people find you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I probably should, I will send that to you, Ryan. You can send that out. And I know you probably have my actual LinkedIn account, but you can message me on LinkedIn um, or you can message me at Rebecca.Falk at iCloud.com. Very cool. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes of the podcast as well. So people can track you down if they have any questions, but 
we really do appreciate you hopping on the show today and, and sharing everything about CX. I think it's a super interesting topic that definitely ties into marketing in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. I appreciate the time. Been Very great. Cool. Absolutely. Very Have cool. a great weekend. Thanks everybody. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Art of Marketing podcast from Applied Art and Technology. If you liked the episode, make sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can help more listeners connect with their customers. See the show notes for access to our free 88-page video idea book filled with ideas for your next production. And to learn more about our company, visit our site at appliedart.com.